You're listening to Under a Red Glow, a photography podcast covering the wide spectrum of the art and history of photography with an emphasis on chemical, darkroom, and alternative-based processes. Be sure to visit us at www.underaredglow.com. And now your host, John Milliker Jr. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Under a Red Glow podcast. My name is John Milliker and with me in studio is my co-host and lovely wife, Christine. Hello, Christine. Good evening. How are you doing? I guess it is afternoon. It is afternoon. I'm so used to do it in the evening. I'm just going into autopilot. <laughs> Sorry. We, um, and, and I... I never want to be the person that really kind of talks about uh, the, the the live streaming, but we we ran a live stream last night on our Facebook page under a red glow, and uh, if you if you if you caught it, great, you caught our show pretty much in its entirety. How we wanted to talk about things, however, um, we are recording this again just because. Uh, we didn't like the flow. We didn't like how everything flowed as far as, um, you know, keep pu- putting putting the podcast first and putting the live stream second, right? Right. So, so we are recording it again. Today is Friday. Uh, it is uh, it is a, a early afternoon on Friday, and yeah, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. And we are we are video recording again. We're not live streaming. But we do want to we do want to figure out how how we can do all this with uh, with keeping the the uh, keeping the audio clean as far as you know nobody in a in sitting in a car or listening to us in a in a car or, or on their uh, audio device is is missing out. But we also need to you know, we also like the idea that we can live stream people can see us and eventually we want to tie all that together. But but not yet, right? Right. Okay. Well, um, with that said, if you do want to be, as I said, you do want to be a part of the live streams, make sure to follow us on our Facebook page. And if you are a supporter through Patreon, we will give you a heads up. If you are not, you just kind of have to see when, uh, when we're going to show up. And we do not save the live streams. No. We're thinking about putting them up for just our Patreon people, but... I don't know. It's it's just so much work already going through and and processing all the video up. And I was up late, late, late last night, so my energy level is like a point four, and uh, on a scale of I have no idea. So my energy level is weird because uh, I was up late last night trying to make the show work, and I just you know what? It just would have been easier to re-record the show, and and go from that. So here we are. So here we are. Two for one. Yes. Or they don't get the first one unless they watch the live stream, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get on. Uh, let's get on with everything, Christine. What's uh, what's going on? Anything happen? Anything fun happened this week? Well, you did a presentation for Frederick Camera Click. Well, the Fed- Frederick Camera Click in in Frederick, Maryland, a very fantastic group. This group was uh, amazing to work with, and uh, and you know what the interesting part is, is I've never been on a presentation before. That had live uh, sign language. What are they called? Sign language interpreters. So, uh, I guess so. Sign language. Yeah. And, yeah interpreters. That's what that is. Um, I've always seen it. Uh, like if I if I had done a presentation, I had always seen them kind of come behind it and and add video to that. But there were live interpreters, and that was that was really cool. And it was really good for me because when I get excited about things, I know that I start talking fast. I start, uh, you know, I start talking fast, and I 
And when, when those interpreters' fingers started smoking, I knew I had to slow down. <laughs> but, uh, but it was really interesting because it, it, made me, it made me aware that I'm talking about, like let's say I talked about uh, Joseph Nisifor Nieps, uh, one of the early pioneers in photography. I, I then realized, okay, well, you know, the sign language interpreter is not going to know that person's name. So, so then I, I was, I, I went back to my old radio radio days where I had, I knew that, okay, that's a weird name. I'm going to spell it, and okay, well, Joseph needs, you know, Nieps, and I, you know, but, um, but it was really interesting working in that format, and and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it a lot. That's, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I wish yeah. I could have seen it, but I was running our normal camera club stream. Christine did a great was... job. Um, I was I was a little bit worried about our 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 internet. I was worried that our internet may have uh, <laughs> may fail at some point. But no, I mean I was I was on a, a stream giving a presentation that was uh, that was largely video actually, and. And Christine was was working a working a presentation, as we said, for the for our local camera club that that we are involved with, and and that we that we run most of the streams of on that. But uh, but yeah, I had a I, I it was it was a lot of fun working in the process. It was a lot of fun doing this presentation because typically I would I would share my screen, and I'm gonna see if I can't take get this up here. But I, I would typically share my screen and and then share my my video my my web uh, my webcam video. Well, I typically when I'm working with a class or a school or an event, I just have my web video and I've got my I've got a desk camera that is over my desk that I can turn on and flip back and forth between those and and you know bring up artifacts, bring up plates or bring up cameras or bring up lenses, things like that. And that was a lot of fun, but I was also able to tie in the the PowerPoint presentation, which which was which was fun as well. And that was really the first time I've I've done that, where I've tied all three video sources in together through a virtual webcam. So therefore, all they needed to do was put me uh, put me front and center in the in the screen of uh, they actually use a Zoom they actually use a Zoom meeting, and uh, and. As soon as they put me in front of the screen, I was able to kind of switch back and forth between that. Now, typically, we use a, a product what's called Streamyard. Uh, we use uh, we use Streamyard online for for our camera club, and I love that because I you know it gives me buttons on the bottom that I can bring a presentation. And that's what Christine did. Christine did this where she had a present a presenter here. She was able to ask them to share their screen, and then Christine can bounce back and forth between the the speaker and the presentation and and that that makes that easy but uh, but you know well for being zoom it was uh it, it was it was pretty good um but uh yeah it was a it was a good it was a good time we had a lot of a lot of great questions and uh a lot of great comments and i i look forward i look forward to the uh i look forward to the comments because uh, i'm kind of a stickler i want to make sure everybody understands and and it's always difficult to say okay well I, I, I know this. I know this information like the back of my hand, but it's always difficult trying to, and I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm not, you know, not 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 really dumb it down, but just dumb it down in my mind to the point where, okay, silver nitrate does this. You know, bromides do this. Developer does this. So it's it's always it's always fun. It's always fun, kind of kind of working that line between being too, um, being too too basic and being and not basic enough. 
which is which which is cool because you just you kind of think about your, your you know private lessons or workshops but the dynamic of not being able to see people and see the expressions on their face or or understand if they're understanding or not it's uh it's always it's always difficult with live streaming we're getting better and better at it though yeah we um we started let's talk about next week's episode before we talk about this Christine's not very excited about no the, my 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 idea for next week's episode. We're going to watch three photography related horror movies over the next week, and then we're going to discuss them. Now, one movie I've seen should we should we tell them what the movies are? How about we tell them what one of the movies are? That way, maybe if they want to watch it and yeah one one of the more mainstream movies is one hour photo with robin williams and robin williams plays uh kind of plays uh a villain kind of plays an evil an evil guy in this which is uh you know one of one of uh, the best performances i'm not a horror movie person either so i i can't say it's one of my favorite performances of robin williams but i think it's one of one of his better performances in his career because it shows that he can he can be that creepy guy and we're going to watch that, and we're going to watch two others that are photography-related. And uh, because of copyrights, we're not going to be we watching them live, but we're going to watch them, and then we're just going to kind of discuss them. Maybe, why don't we do this? Why don't we tell people, join us on our Facebook page, and as we as we watch these, these movies, or maybe I'll, I'll put the list up on our Facebook page. That way, if people want to watch all three with us, they can. Does that work? Yeah, that's, that'll work. Cool. We we started watching a when I was doing my research and finding some good horror movies that that related to photography. I found a what is it? It's an Irish Canadian. They they touted it as an Irish Canadian drama. Dra- dra- yeah, horror I think, drama. I don't think it's horror, but drama. And it's called it's a it's a it's a show called Dead Still. And it's a it's an eighteen eighties uh, kind of set in eighteen eighties. It's Ireland, and uh, there is uh, it revolves revolves around a post mortem photographer, and he is drawn into a uh, apparent uh, series of murders, which appear to be linked to his work. It's it's actually interesting. The first episode we watched last night, and they did a pretty good job. They what did a think? really good job. I really enjoyed it. And there were just a few things that we saw that made us go, uh, what? The costume design was fantastic. Um, the, the characters were, were smoking what looked like filtered cigarettes, which I don't think were around until early 20th century. I'm not a smoker. I don't know too much about that. But from what I understand with, with uh, reenacting, filtered cigarettes kind of weren't a thing yet. Uh, but... It almost looks like they were they were smoking filtered cigarettes, but they were trying to hide the fact that there was a filter. So at least they were trying. Yeah. But there was kind of like a band there. It wasn't like a, a yellow band, but it was kind of like a band at the end that was like, uh, wait a minute, hold on a sec. Now, we're not entirely sure. I mean, we're we're assuming that that he's that he's photographing on uh, dry plate because uh, once again we're we're kind of eighteen eighty and. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Maddox would would kind of come up with uh, with a, a gelatin bromide emulsion with with silver nitrate, coat them on a plate, and that was actually um, Maddox was England. So therefore, if this is Ireland, it's it's very possible it would have it would have hit Ireland by then. In fact, uh, what was it seventy? 
71, wasn't it? That well, he... 71, but when First... when did Eastman, George Eastman, start his start start messing with? I think that was 79 or 80? Eight, I thought it was 80, 81. Okay, 80, 81, George Eastman starting to work with, with dry plates. He uh, he quits his job at the bank. He rents he rents uh, a studio to uh, to create these and uh, kind of interesting history. We're, we're history people, but you, you should know that by now. But um, you know George Eastman would stay up so late and he'd work so hard at the bank and working in his mother's kitchen. He would he would oftentimes fall asleep in front of the oven on the floor because he stayed up so late trying to to work with these dry plate processes. He said he's heard so much about. Anyway, we think we think the we think the postmortem photographer is shooting dry plates. He photographs. He takes a whole bunch of stuff out to uh, out to a, a, a grieving family. He sets up, and it's kind of got a little bit of a weird British humor twist to it too, which guess, is yeah. The the photographer used to be a mortician, so mm-hmm. he's even more readily available, uh, able to make the people look good. Right. But um, we're we're pretty sure he's using he's he's using, excuse me, dry plate, and uh, and he's got this dry plate and he and it, it without without going too much into it the the photo that he makes of this family goes missing, and it's kind of interesting. It, there's a lot of there's a lot of holes because someone someone steals the plate from his box. And the plate had not been developed yet. At least that's what they were they were trying to make it seem like. The plate has not been developed yet. He needs to take it back to develop it. He needs to develop it and bring it bring it to the family. But the the problem is is when they finally get a hold of the plate, they uh, they they develop it. It looks like it looks like a plate. You know, it comes out as as a positive in the developing bath, which you know whatever. This is a show that's not necessarily for photographers of course photographers hopefully are going to like it but it's not necessarily for them um they also take uh, they also take two images they also take two photos in this in this episode and the first one was the original one with the family right right and the second one is is in this dimly dimly lit church right at night at night well it's getting it's getting to be morning morning time and blue hours is is fast approaching, but uh, but it's interesting, and and you could tell that's the only thing that stuck out like a major sore thumb for me is when they when they took a when they made a photo, they would pop on a screen grab of the video, so of course you can tell every little artifact because you know when you when you screen grab video, it's not necessarily the the, the same quality as a, a nice camera, even if you did digital, it would have been better than than video. And and what else? What about the uh, what about? Well, we noticed right away the depth of field was yeah. perfect. <laughs> like everything was in focus. Which, if you're using an 1880s lens, we know very well that the depth of field would have been very shallow. Well, it's not necessarily the, using an 1880s lens. It's using any lens on a large format camera that's that's going to be wide, mostly wide open. If you can even get to that that exposure. What do they make the scene? They made the scene like the exposure was what, like maybe two seconds. Yeah, it was like open, shut, done. Yeah, so. And in the light that they had there, there's no way it was that quick. Right, and and like I said, it's it's nitpicky stuff for photographers, right? 
Maybe if they had a magnesium flash, it might have worked a little bit better. Yeah, but, yeah, that's... Uh, uh, and that would have been used at that period, but... There, there is an episode coming up called Daguerreotype. And I think yeah. that's like episode three or four, something like that. We haven't watched We didn't binge watch the entire season, but I, I feel we will in addition to these three these three horror shows, like horror movies. But um, yeah, it's uh, we're looking forward to it. We're really enjoying it. And it's uh, it's British television, so there's only six episodes anyway. I think, what are they, 40-some 40, 40 minutes? Something like that. But there's only six episodes anyway. So we're really looking forward to, um, to to finishing it up, and and hey, producers of Dead Still, call call us. We will fly to Ireland and help you with proper photography in your next season. Yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least, at least, um, whoever whoever is your your director of photography there, at least get someone with a digital camera, uh, with with a with a fast lens, with a you know lo- low aperture number. And as soon as you take the image, get, get that person in there to take the photo with a wide open lens. It's going to make the background. And when we talk about depth of field, let's say the church scene, that stained glass window behind uh, behind your subject, like Christine said, is completely in focus. And it ne- it would be blurred, blurred the hell out just because of uh, just because of everything. So. Um, so, yeah, give us a call. We'll be we'll, we'll fly out to Ireland. <laughs> we'll fly out to Ireland and we'll bring uh we I don't know if I want to bring my own cameras. We could bring a, I could bring a camera, but uh you would need to help source the uh help source the chemistry, which I know we've got some we've got some friends over in the UK that that I'm sure will be able to help us out. Right. So But I think that's it. Okay, let's get on to what we were going to discuss this episode. for the second time. <laughs> what are we going to discuss discuss Christine? Art that stands on its own. Art that stands on its own. What does that mean? It means finding a way to make a photo or a process that matches a photo or whatever, however you want to do it, that doesn't need the process alone to be its own photo. Am I going how, in circles here? How about instead of that, because we have we have already done an episode, I'm sure. I can't believe it's 13 episodes and I can't remember what the heck we shot, what the heck we talked about. But I know we've already done an episode on matching the process to the photo. And I, I know we're, we're really treading a thin line to that. But this is more of, I keep seeing over and over and over. And let's be honest, I do the same thing. But I keep seeing alternative processes or chemical processes being displayed as, hey, look at look at my great art. But... When you when you don't have a great photo, it, people are trying to use a, the alternative processes or darkroom processes as a crutch to make a a bad photo look good. How about that? Yes. And 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 that's that's interesting because, like I said, I I do the same thing. Where if I'm working in a process, I will use the exact same. Ne- I have I have one negative that I like using, and that negative, I will hit. Let's say I'm 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 mixing up a new something or I'm mixing up something different or I'm trying a new process or I'm trying a new paper or I'm trying this and this and this. I've have I have a, a one negative that I've that I have a couple copies of that I will always use and and I'll share it. I'll share it with friends and family because I do have friends with uh, I do um, um, uh, do have uh online friends with a lot of photographers around the world that that we they share things like that. But I don't share it on my on my main photography page. I don't share it on my Instagram, um, unless it's like I said, unless it's a a 
a really interesting new process. But uh, but some people will work in a process that um, that that they will they will kind of put a lackluster photo into a very cool process, and and they kind of they try to make it make it stand on its own. Like I said, it's kind of like saying this. It's a, a think of a bad photo made on vellum with platinum palladium and then leafed in 24 karat gold. It's still a bad photo at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. So you want to make sure you have a good photo that you're doing all these this processing to so you're not wasting your time. And it's not wasting time. It's just don't don't put it out to the world as look at my art when you haven't when you haven't worked with everything. And, and it's tough. It's really tough when you sit there and say, okay, well, look at this really great cyanotype I made or look at this really great tintype or platinum palladium print I made. That's really great. And you're really excited about it. You need to be and you should be excited about it. But what is what are you trying to, to get your viewer to to feel? Don't don't just put a photo out there and say, oh, well, this is you should you should care about this photo. This photo this photo should be loved and revered and 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 honored because of the process. No, most people don't know anything about the processes. Your your fellow photographers are going to say, "Hey, that's great," but in the end of the day, your family, your friends, your you know anybody that 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 loves watching or looking at art, are they going to know what the process is? Maybe, but a majority of them are not. So make the photo look good, and we have an example. We have an example with the cyanotype, though. However. Yeah, with um, cyanotypes, I know I've fallen into this sometimes because it's something that's readily available, is don't make the same print over and over and over again. Try to be more creative with it, unless you're telling a story with it, which is different. But, like, I tend to take a lot of, make a lot of cyanotypes of maple leaves, and it's just because they're so readily available where we tend to be. And it's easy for me to teach people with them because they're there and whenever and you know to take a hundred cyanotypes of maple leaves and have it just be one leaf on the page can be a little boring sometimes if you use it to tell a story like get one maple leaf from every type of maple in your area that would be different if you're getting like all the maple leaves in the Appalachia for example like here where we live in the east coast of um, uh, the United States that would tell a story and that would be a little bit different but just to use a red maple leaf every time uh, to teach the process I guess it doesn't make it that exciting for other people to see it okay that makes sense now now you mentioned like let's say you're you're doing a show or a project and and let's say you uh, you know we're we're big fans of the Appalachian Trail. Let's say you've let's say you've collected a a maple leaf or a leaf from a tree from every uh, from from every state that the Appalachian Trail goes through. How about that? That would be a little bit different. Although if it's the same type of maple leaf, it could. I mean, in the end, they're going to look very similar to each other because it's well, just the outline of the maple leaf. Give me an idea. Let's say. Let's say you go and 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 I know we're now going back into a little bit of the the, the potential of, of 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 matching your photo to to the process, but give me an example of let's say you've you've collected a maple leaf you you take a road trip and you collect a leaf from every state that you've went through the road trip. What are some things that you can do to just not make it 
a, a a maple, you know, let's say you want to do every single maple leaf in a cyanotype. How do you make that not boring for people? Well, you can try to label it, you know, put a note on each one about which state it came from, what exact type of maple it is, if you know that. Like Atkins, right? Like Atkins did with all her British algae. Um, You could try to maybe uh, cut out maybe in the middle of the maple leaf the initials for the state. Okay. That could... I mean, that would destroy the leaf a little bit, but, it, I mean, it would be a different way, you know, like do MD for Maryland, PA how, for Pennsylvania. How about something that is invisible? I'm going to give you an example. Sure. What if you went and sought out a homemade paper maker in every state and you matched that leaf with each piece of paper that you've gotten from a, a manufacturer or, or a home a home home gamer of, of paper? Homemade paper, right? Right. Um, which brings me to a, a thought is, what if nobody will ever realize the tool you create a photo with? Well, in the end, it's your art and it's you that need it needs to tell a story to. So okay. at least that's the way I feel about it. And I know you've been working on a project that people may not know the extent to which exactly. you're, you're doing it. But is it? And I guess that's I guess that's a something you need to figure out. Do you tell? Let's say you make a cyanotype leaf of every every state state on the Appalachian Trail. It, I guess it's up to you to decide if you want to tell your your viewers that, right? Tell the whole story. Yeah. Um, I would think that you would want to, unless it's personal. Maybe it's just personal to you that. Um, you're you're using this because of this because of this material or or this. I'll give you an example. Um, when uh, when when Christine's grandfather died uh, a couple of years ago, we found some slate in in his attic, and because we work we work with with work with lasering and and things like that, they they offered to give me the slate, and this is something that. Um, that we want to laser engrave a photo of her grandfather on one of these pieces of slate. And um, that's something that she may show off and she may never tell them the story of where this slate came from. That may be something personal for her. Or maybe she'll sit there and talk about that. Maybe she'll say that, okay, well, every leaf in this series uh, came from a state. And in that same state, we... We bought him, you know, handmade paper from somebody that lives in that state, somebody that works in that state. Uh, you can even go a little bit further. We, we, uh, for 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 several years, and of course, we couldn't do it this year because of everything that happened. But um, we worked at Capon Springs uh, and Farms, and Capon Springs is known for their spring. People come from everywhere, and they 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 get this water that comes up from all these springs, and we. Um, one of the things that we did was we collected some of the we when we take when we go somewhere we take our own containers of water just in case but on our way back after working the event for the entire weekend we we pulled some of the water we actually filled a jug full of this spring water right remember that yes and when we had some orders for some for some uh, chemical photos of photos that we made we used that Capon Springs water, and I don't think we told anybody that it was I don't kind think of a. We did either. It was kind of a thing that that really energized us because 
I guess that's that fine line between is it is it energizing you or is it something that you're going to energize your audience with? Right. So, but that's it. That's interesting. That's an interesting aspect of do you do you tell people how great the photo is or do you? And that's another thing. You may not want to tell people that you use this or that, but you still need the photo to stand on its own. Right. So don't. And that would be a thing. Like if I knew those photos were lackluster and I knew those photos were not that that important, that uh, that interesting, I could sit there and try to make them interesting. But but maybe that's a thought. Try try to make them stand on their own. And if you and, and once they stand on their own, if you want to then talk the story about how you use this resource, I've I'll give you another example. It's Christine said I'm working on a project that that our, our Patreon people know. We talked about it at the after show last week, I think. But um, I'm using a a well known resource at at a uh, at a resort destination. I may have even said it on the podcast. I don't know. But I'm using a well known resource at a one of our resort destinations to work on a show, and you know it's uh, it's something that I probably will tell people what it is. And when I shop the show, I will tell people what it what everything that that goes into it. But um, but a couple other things is I'd like to eventually make a uh, make a book on on these either a coffee table book or or something, and there is a location uh, there is a book publisher that is nearby, that actually has the name of one of the photographic uh, part of the name of one of the photographic processes that I use, and it just seemed perfect, and I may never I may never publish a book, I may never uh, that that company that publishing company may never want to publish the book. But uh, but it's kind of one of those things in my brain that that kind of gets me excited about it, yeah. and that's another thing which I think is great is uh, and of course you're still teetering over over talking about what we talked about before, but the more you the more you kind of use those tools in your toolbox when you see a photo and you use that tool in your toolbox and say okay well I'm going to match this and this and this process and this camera even if you're a digital photographer you're going to match this photo with this photoshop filter or this effect or print it on this paper uh, there is a there's a, a good example for digital photographers out there which is the barn photo you remember the, my story on that yeah what was that story well, you uh, know of a photographer who took a picture of a barn that they were getting ready to tear down. And whenever he took the series of photos, he then went to the person and asked if he could have some of the barn wood and turn the barn wood into frames for the photos that he took. How cool was that? And I, I don't know the photographer. It's actually one of those stories I heard through the grapevine from pro you know, probably 10 plus years ago. But um, how cool is that? Yeah. How cool is that that you you were able to make a a piece of art and then actually frame it in the barn wood? I mean that's 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 priceless. That's irreplaceable. Yeah. That's so amazing. And uh, the next thing you need to do is let the scene speak for you and choose a tool in your toolbox to realize it with. Have it speak to you, right? Yes. Have it speak to you because. How many times have we ever gone to a location? And it's not until, and I guess uh, it's not until it speaks to you that you even know that that photo is there. How many times has that happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. I, when you're looking through your photos later and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Not necessarily. When things speak to me, I'm, it's, it's when I'm there. 
it's it's very rarely when I'm looking at the photos on a on a screen. It's when I'm there. And you know something that really helps, and it's 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 interesting. It's weird how this works because a scene may speak to you on your first visit or your hundredth visit, but it's kind of it's kind of your it's your experiences in life that kind of help that scene speak to you. I'll oh. give you the, I'll give you an example. Okay. How about um, like I'll give you a thought. How about that? Not an example. But there have been places where I need to be in the right mood, the right frame of mind. Maybe I have a, a certain song stuck in my head, or maybe I've got out of the car listening to a certain song, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that really all helps. Maybe I, maybe I went to a, a gallery show the night before. Maybe I remember seeing uh, a Facebook friend post a photo. Not that I'm going to you know make us a. a, a direct copy of something but but as you look at things and you do you 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 take in all of your experiences it helps you realize man that scene would look good with this that this and that and uh and and you make it and it doesn't always work out but when it does oh man sometimes another thought would be is the season or time of day can play a part um I know like there are places we've been and we've been there in the middle of the day and been like, you know, if we were here first thing in the morning or right at sunset, this would be so much better. And sometimes we can make it back at those times and sometimes we can't. It all depends on where it is and why we're there and what's going on. But also, you know, visiting a place in spring, summer, fall, winter, I mean, a place can look totally different or have totally new things to photograph at different times of year. Yeah. Like Ansel Adams. When you think about Ansel Adams and, and out at, uh, out at Yosemite, he knew, he knew exactly when to come back. Nowadays we have great, 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 uh, cell phone tools and internet tools that will, will tell us what, you know, where the, where everything's going to be going to be at in the sky. But I mean, Ansel Adams would go somewhere and, you know, he would wait until it was the it was the perfect time of year, perfect time of day. Speaking of Yosemite, in places you can't get to, ugh, those switchbacks. That was that was on our way to the the Sequoias. No, no, we made it to the Sequoias. We were at Yosemite, and Yosemite, if you've never been, Yosemite National Park out in California. From the main road, it's forty five minutes to get into, and it's these tiny tiny roads and. Some of the roads were out due to rock slides, and and it was just such a such a pain to get to. Well, we were at the in the basin of Yosemite, and we wanted to be at a certain overlook for sunset, and we had to stop. We were trying, you know, we were driving the speed limit, but I mean the switchbacks left and right and left, and, and we're talking we're not talking like a minute worth of driving and then a left and then ten minutes. No, we're talking complete utter back to back switchbacks, and we all got we all got car sick. And we just couldn't make it happen. Yeah, we had to stop for a while, let our stomach settle, and then move on. We yeah, we never made it. We we found like we found probably the worst scenic overlook, and and still, actually no, I don't think we found an overlook. I mean, the sun just it just set, and we were in the we were in the thick of the woods, and we just couldn't get anywhere because we knew we had to switch back down if if we were turning around anyway. Yeah. Ugh. But a- another thing for like season or time of year um 
we can talk about when we first went to Spruce Knob. We just went up there knowing that we could see the stars, but we knew it wasn't the new moon, and we knew the moon would block so many of the stars. But uh, So we went to bed, and in the middle of the night, we set our alarm when we knew the moon was setting. And it was our first time there, so we had no idea what the stars would look like. We went, we went at a bad time. And we, neither of us are morning people. We do not, once we are cuddled up in our nice warm sleeping bags and asleep, it is really hard to get us up. And sometimes we'll do it for a sunrise, but then we go back to bed once it's all over. But that night, John looked out and said, Chris, we're getting up. And so I knew it had to be something really spectacular or we wouldn't be getting up. Yeah. And I think we told we told that story before. I don't think the whole story. Well, maybe not. But but um, that that brings me to another point is don't don't not photograph a scene because it doesn't speak to you, or don't not photograph a scene because the i the, the the because the the conditions aren't perfect. Or walk around and get different angles of it. But even look, even if you walk around, sometimes you just can't. You can't make a scene happen. You can't make your 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 life experiences and your brain work together to make art. Now, good photographers, good artists, good writers, they can usually make something out of almost nothing. But sometimes you just get there and it, whether it's your problem or whether it's the problem that there's just not a, a very good picturesque photo of something – it's okay, and it's and it's not a you know it's not a big deal. Don't, don't not photograph it. And and Christine's got a good story. She always talks about when she went overseas and and she went to a place that, uh, you know, she she always says, "Man, I wish I knew photography like I knew, like I know today back then." But it do- doesn't mean the the photos that she took were any less spectacular. I loved every minute of my time in Rome and took those photos. I just had no idea what I was doing, mm-hmm. and. I tried to take pictures in areas where I the photos just didn't turn out because I had no idea how to compensate or, you know, I didn't know any of the rules of photography yet. But I still took a lot of photos and I have them forever. But um, I want to go back now that I know better, the you know, how to compensate, how to photograph things inside, how to, you know, up my ISO or down my you know, aperture, you know, whatever I need to do. But gotcha. Um, it really, really uh, made me happy to get what I got. Yeah, but that's that that points out. That's my point is just because you don't have that perfect gallery show photo, that gallery opening photo, whenever you go somewhere, it doesn't mean that you just can't. You definitely, definitely shoot. Definitely. Um, figure out okay well you know maybe i'll put this scene on on this or that i'm just saying that it's not it's not every photo needs to be that perfect i know exactly where i'm going with this photo from start to finish and and everything else that's kind of that's kind of more the exception Right. right and sometimes a scene can have things that you didn't expect sometimes you know there if you don't usually shoot macro you can look around and you know change the way you you think about a scene and you'll find things that you didn't realize were there 
you know, gotcha. take macro sh- some macro shots. Look for the small things in a scene that maybe the hole isn't that good, but um, but on what the hole isn't the what you're looking for, but maybe a part of it makes the photo that you've been looking for. Gotcha. And just because you always photograph people, maybe look around and you'll find a scene you like or an object that catches your eye. You don't always have to stay within your comfort zone that way either. Okay. That's interesting. Um, speaking of comfort, comfort zone, um, you talked about you know going out and, and shooting different things. Try shooting abstracts, landscapes, portraits, macro, um, experimenting in lighting. But um, let's let's talk a little bit more about tying together maybe a body of work. And I've I've also seen people where um, they've they've got kind of either either the photos that don't seem to make sense that are that are tied together via uh, maybe a certain photographic process, which which I think is okay. Or they have or they have very similar photos that it's it seems like it's a it's a gallery of every every photographic process I can do. Here's all my photographic processes that I can that I that I have the chemistry for, uh, and sometimes there's there's just no correlation whatsoever. So it's it's really interesting to to strive to make sure that that is all is all put together. Now you like one of the other things that you like doing is taking taking books. Yes. Now, of course, we're we're real sticklers for not destroying something that has that has lived for 150 years or 100 years or 50 years and and going from there. But Christine likes finding books at uh, at like antique stores, thrift stores and making prints out of those. Right. Yeah, I have a few books. There's one that I have that's either oak something or acorn or something or along those lines. And I've been taking pages from it and making different processes on it. And my goal is to fill every pic- every page in the book with a different piece of art, at least on one side, if not both sides. And um, I try to find either a word on the page that sticks out and make a cyanotype out of that word or keep with the title of the book, which is, you know, uh, the oak or acorns or, you know, something like that. And I'm enjoying doing that. I also have um, a music book that has uh, pages in that I think will be fun to take like a word from the song lyrics that are in it or something like that or the name of the song. Well, let's let's pause there for a second because I want to go back to the books you talk about. What kind of books do you need and what kind of books do you look for? Well, you need an uh, you need to make sure that the pages are paper and not like the shiny shimmery paper because those aren't going to coat well. Those aren't going to absorb the chemicals to allow you to make your print on them. I also don't want a book that looks like it has value on its own. It's usually slightly beat up or has some torn pages or folded corners or, but I don't want it to be too beat up because I want to be able to make a good looking print from it. Well, she, she usually finds books that, that they're probably going to be thrown away eventually because nobody wants you know, books that have completely torn out spines or books that, that all the paper has come unglued. 
uh, you know, not not a nice book that, like I said, has lasted for so long until, of course, <laughs> hi, this is John and Christine. You know, we're gonna we're gonna rip every page out of your spine. No, we're, we don't want to do that. Just like we don't want to do that with any with any camera gear. Now, how do you 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 mentioned something very important? You you picked do you pick the book for the process? Because that's that's what I'll do, and I'll 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 explain explain what I like doing. But um, but I know you pick books based on the subject. I I tend to pick it on the subject things that I think I could be creative and come up with a good print from. I know one you have that actually has the uh, the the chapter markers actually have little little wingdings of of acorns and mm-hmm. leaves. Um, I know that you like to pull horticulture books books on trees or books mm-hmm. on uh, on plants and i know you've got a couple of them that you're working on a series of um me and and that's that's kind of your way of of not using cyanotype as a crutch of oh here's a cyanotype on a piece of book paper uh, me i i will usually take a piece of paper and look just kind of see what words jump out at me and that's kind of a reverse thing because instead of me shooting for the process now i'm working in the reverse i'm now taking the process and finding the subject like i'll take a i'll take a book page and i'll just like i said i will just kind of scan the page and see what words pop out at me and it could be one it could be two it could be three it could be four words and then i i kind of want to know i kind of want to then come up with a theme or a photo or something to put on that page and then highlight those words to to make my to make my piece. Right. That's pretty cool. Uh, you also talk about music. Yes. And the same thing, music books. Uh, if you've got a if you've got a a, a piece of uh, I guess it's sheet music, piece of sheet music that that relates to something that you're photographing. That's what Christine likes to do a lot. And we also we also collect piano rolls. But the problem is, is we've never gotten a piano piano roll that has been so damaged that we that we're okay with, <laughs> with destroying it by cutting it up and and do. we're, we've got a few that, that we think that we're going to scan and we're going to reprint, and then we, as I said, we do a little bit of laser working, so we may use the laser to kind of cut the 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 player piano roll you know holes back into it, but we haven't we haven't figured that out yet, we haven't really worked in that, but that is. That's another project. That's another project. But it's it, it turns into – and that's why we talk about projects that, oh, we're still working on a project. Oh, this resort project I've been working on for 15 years. You know, it's it's kind of one of those things where if you're if – you're, maybe you're that good that you're you're coming up with projects and you're, you're executing it and you're completing a project every week. But I don't think that's the norm. I don't think that's the norm because you, you, and like I said, everyone else is different, but at least for me, I know that a project takes so much more of my life and I'm, I'm years, I'm years into a project, especially, like I said, this, this big one that I'm, I'm really kind of rounding the corner on now, but, um, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to say. Like I said, I don't want to I don't want to make anybody mad and say, oh well, you can't you can't create a new project every week, because you know we we did that isolation project and that was done in a in a month, but there's still there's still more work to be done on it. Right. Right. So you know maybe maybe it's done. Maybe it's done in your mind. 
or maybe it's not. Maybe it'll never be done. I may never get this this resort project out. That's the that's the reality of it because it's it's my my life and my experience and how the project talks to me. That's how I'm going to make it make it work or not work. Each artist has to listen to their own heart and to their own ideas and some people can work on a project non-stop for a week two weeks three weeks a month a year right some people have other things going on in their lives that prevent them from being able to do so and some people are torn in different directions and there's nothing wrong with any of that yeah it's you an artist works at their own speed at their own time i mean look at look at some of the you know some of the greats uh Vivian, look at Vivian Meyer. She she may have been waiting for a, a project. She was she was severely an introvert, from what I understand. But you know, she maybe she was waiting for that perfect opportunity to to, to work on a project, and it never happened. It may never happen. As I said, uh, this this resort project that I'm working on may never happen. I, I hope it does. But if I'm not going to rush it, I'm not going to force it. If if the time isn't right, time isn't right. I'm not going to force things out there because things we we kind of we kind of think along the lines of things happen for a reason and you may or may not belong to that to that philosophy but things happen for a reason for, for us whenever you know whether it's something good or whether it's something bad it's it happens for a reason and typically things that happen that are bad when you look at them on a on a silver lining kind of scale uh, you can you can tie something good that happened directly after it, and and we we like to think of we like to think of things that way. We like to think of something happened for a reason, and if and if the if one of my projects doesn't happen, it's it just wasn't meant to be. Right. Yeah. So before we get on to the last, I have one more I have one more thought, but before we get on that, do you have anything else for me? I think that's all we had. Um... All right. Well, how about this topic with customer work in mind instead of artistic personal work how about customer work well that's a totally different entity because you have to do what your customer wants you to do with your own twist to it but um in the end the customer is the one that's right so exactly you you may you may not feel that that this customer uh that this that this negative you've created for a customer or or maybe you've taken uh, you've got a customer that wants you to how about selective coloring mm-hmm. you know selective coloring is kind of one of those things it's like oh it's so it's so photograph you know photography cliche and i'll <laughs> somebody comes to me and says hey uh can you selective color this can you just color my you know turn everything black and white and keep my bouquet color and i'm like okay i will but don't you ever tell anyone that i did this for you but yeah the customer is always right and the customer might say hey can you can you make a digital negative this of this or can you make it you know come out and photograph this and then print it on cyanotype what's the what's the favorite what's the famous quote about cyanotypes and and landscapes oh um you're asking me only a vandal would print a landscape in red or cyanotype now I can't remember who it was. I've got it on my presentation, but on my presentation up. But I can't remember what the name Emerson. I think it was Emerson, I right? Think so, but um, but that's kind of the thing. Maybe maybe nowadays only a vandal would selective color a photograph. 
<laughs> but but do you do what you you do what your customers want. Now, like Christine said, it doesn't mean you can't put your own style or own spin. You still need to deliver what the customer wants, but at least you can kind of say, "Well, you're going to look pretty weird in blue. Would you rather be sepia toned? How about we go to do a cyanotype, but then we, but then we tone it in tea, or we tone it in coffee, or we tone it in wine, or or whatever." But uh, you, it's still your, it's still your work. It's still your responsibility, and they've come to you because they like your style. And they like you, and they respect your opinion enough to say, "Hey, well, what do you what do you recommend for this?" And you may never turn their 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 mind, but you can at least sit there and say, "Well, how about we try this instead?" Right. Oh well. I think that's uh, I think that's about it, Christine. Unless you have anything else. That's all I can think of. All right. Well, what do you think? Did we miss anything? Have you ever found yourself tempted to use a road less traveled as a crutch to an artistic process? And how did you get around it? How did you repair that? How did you, and not that it needs to be repaired, but how did you, um, how did you take that photo from, from a crutch to something else? Or how could you have, or how should you have? Either way, let us know. Uh, you can connect with us on our Facebook group or through email at podcast at underredglow.com. And as always, your comments just might make it into a future episode. As always, big thank you to everyone for continuing to join us and all the love and support we've received from people liking us on Facebook, subscribing and rating us on your podcast platform of choice, and also a big thank you to our Patreon supporters. Starting at a buck, you can get our shows early with our supporters only after show and without ads. Be sure to check out our other supporter tiers, which are geared towards bringing you along on our darkroom projects with great rewards. All of our links can be found in our show notes and also on www.underredglow.com. And now with episode 13 down, yeah. it's been our absolute pleasure spending this time with you. Please be sure to subscribe to Under a Red Glow on your podcast listening app of choice. And if we've earned your recommendation to other photographers of any skill level or process, we certainly would appreciate you sharing us with them. A big thank you to my co-host, Christine Milliker, and of course, everyone for listening. And if you're listening to us on Patreon, stay tuned for the after show. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to visiting with you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.